Hi, and welcome to the Ex-Meal Recruitment Podcast, where we share career advice for service leavers and veterans. I'm Rosie Vilecce, and I'm the head of marketing here at Ex-Meal Recruitment. Although I didn't serve myself, I'm an original military brat. My dad served in the Navy for 40 years, and my brother is on year 26 and counting. Throughout this podcast, I will be your hostess. I will interview guests, chat with the x team, and facilitate conversations that help veterans like you to get the jobs they truly want. Here's today's episode. The new episode of the x Recruitment Podcast, as always, here I am, Rosie. And as always, you guys, I have a lovely guest with me. Welcome, Richard Wade. How are you doing? Rosie, thank you. I'm really well, thanks, Rosie. All is very good in the northeast of England. Thanks. <laughs> Lovely to have you with me. This interview has been quite a while in the making, we were saying, Richard, because we tried to book it in for, I think, like a good couple of months before it happened. Yeah, we did. We've been we've been trying to get it going and then COVID's got in the way and other things, but we're here now and I'm delighted to be joining you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Of course, I do know a little bit about you but I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's get going with the first question. Well, who are you, Richard? Tell us. Well, so my name is Richard Wade and I'm ex-military. I spent 15 years in the Royal Army Medical Corps, uh, initially as a combat medical technician. And then latterly, uh, after a couple of years of doing that, I moved and specialized in Army environmental health. So I stayed for 15 years in the military served all over the world, which no doubt we will talk about later, uh, in various um, operations and exercises. And then I left in 97 and have worked in insurance brokers with a view and a direct involvement in risk management and health and safety. And for the last 15 years or so, I've been running my own companies. And now I work in health and safety, risk management, and I have a particular set of skills in rural crime prevention. I'm very excited to talk about well, all of your career, but especially this rural crime thing. I said it before we started the recording. I'm quite curious about it. I don't think we ever chatted with anybody with, about this ever before. So I'm looking forward to it. But before we even get there, let's begin at the beginning, right? So tell us a little bit about your transition. Clearly, it has been a while. Yeah. yeah, but it, I'm I'm sure it's still quite of an interesting story, right? Because transitioning probably wasn't maybe as easy as it is right now. Well, I mean, not that right now it's super easy, but it was probably a little bit more difficult, I would imagine. Well, it it, it was an interesting time for me. So when I when I made the decision to leave, this was back in 1997. So it was a long, long time ago now. I was a baby. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So was I at that time, not anymore though. Um, but yeah, so I'd, I'd made the decision to leave the army, uh, but it it was based on already having a job. So some rather strange circumstances happened and an old friend of mine, an ex-military friend who's a great friend of mine to this day, contacted me. And at the time I was a warrant officer class two in a brilliant job in our training depot, so the medics training depot, I, I was the SMI, the Sergeant Major Instructor, head of a training team, I had a brilliant job. And I got this random contact from my old friend, Tony, who said, hmm, we got a job going. Are you interested? And to be honest, Rosie, I, at the time, I wasn't that interested. I wasn't looking for a job. But I thought, you know what? 
why don't I go for the interview? I went for this job interview. I, I had a house in Basingstoke at the time. The job interview was in London. I went up on this Friday afternoon um, and we had this interview. I met the two directors of the insurance company. They took us to the pub. We went to the pub and we talked about things like football and cricket. And not once did health and safety or risk management or this job get mentioned. And then in the lift after this uh brief visit back to the office in the lift going down wonderful chap called paul welling said to me so when do you want to start thought that is really weird <laughs> so i had a bit of thinking to do and uh, and I, I thought about it and that was at the, that was the point and i made the decision to leave the services so i had a job to go to and i literally uh, after after a quite a short space of time, but by the way, it cost me two hundred pounds to leave. A thing called PVR, premature voluntary release, cost me two hundred quid. I signed the papers. I went through the process. I left the army on the Friday. This is in July nineteen ninety seven, and on the Monday morning, I was in London starting my new job as a health and safety consultant for a well known insurance company. And that's how I came to transition. So in a way, I was lucky. I didn't. I didn't have to go through the job hunting and the CV and my CV was a couple of pints of beer in the pub in London and, and it worked. <laughs> I'm not I'm not recommending that to people as we'll talk about later. There are better ways now of doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's quite interesting though because I've interviewed a wide range of guests on this podcast and I really see on one side, there are the people that have planned for this for like three, four years, you know, before they even come out and they have everything laid out and they know exactly what they were going to do. And on the other side, you have instead some people that we could say the stars just aligned and it happened. And for them, it worked out that way. And is one way better than the other? I cannot say because it still seems to work eventually in the end, you know. It does. It does. It works. Yeah. Um, what I what I would advocate though, for those that those those were kind of strange circumstances, worked out well for me. And, and then it and it led on to a, what has been a really, really fantastic career to date and still is. Uh, a, a great fun experience along the way as well. But I speak to people regularly now, so I'm a big user of LinkedIn and a big, I'm a big networker. I love networking, and I'm still in touch with uh, many, many people within the military. I go to lots of reunions. I organise uh, dinners and reunions myself within the Royal Army Medical Corps, uh, and, and I do speak to people, and I say, plan it. Use social media. Get Even if you're not looking for a job, this is one of the things, I don't know if this is time to mention it, but one of the things I've noticed is – very often, uh, military guys and girls won't start looking at social media and, and thinking about getting out there until they're looking for a job. And and it's more than that, isn't it? Look, get out there anyway. People would, people are so interested in, in your story if you're in the services. Um, there's some who've got it right. The, I, the name evades me now, but there's a there's a there's a wonderful lady, a, a corporal in the in the Remi Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, who's very much out there on social media. She ain't looking for a job. She's not leaving, but she's got so much to talk about, and more people ought to do that because you know we're interested, and and it builds up your personal brand. It lets people get to know you, and then when you're then looking for a job, you're a known commodity, and boom. Here you are, and you probably have people knocking on your door to offer you employment. 
Yeah, it's so much easier. I mean, there is that element of networking as well. It's something that we often talk about. I know that, for example, ex-male recruitment, Ben is one of those. He advocates for it all the time because, of course, it goes to your advantage. And to be out there, to have that brand, I mean, nowadays, I work in marketing, so <laughs> I know a thing or two about personal branding. And yeah. right now, personal branding is the thing, you know. So if you can already build it before you even get to the point of necessity, as you're saying, it's just so much more powerful, right? And I mean, clearly for you, LinkedIn was not necessarily already a commodity in the beginning when you left. No. It just came later. So how did you grow your network or how did you slowly progress in your career? Was it, again, like a, a lucky hit after a lucky hit or how did it go? We kind of engineered engineered the look, to be honest with you. So I'll go back to when when I, when I first left. So in 97, I'd, I'd left the military. I was now and literally in at the deep end, left on the Friday as a sergeant major instructor on Monday morning, I'm now a consultant in health and safety with a commercial head on. You know, my job is to go out there, advise, help. But at the end of the day, I had to make money. I had, to, I had The company wanted me to make money. So that was a very steep learning curve. But the way it kind of progressed was, and, and I re-mentioned the guy who, who was my ex-army buddy, Tony. Um, he, was, he was working at the same company as me. And what we realized very quickly, that within a space of three years, um, so from leaving the army to 97, just coming up to the year 2000 now, we we were the guys in the team. We had a great team within the company, but we we tended to be both ex-military, doing things slightly different, getting out there, networking, doing more of the client-facing stuff and getting to know people. And, and as a result of that, people got to trust us. And as a result of that, our, our business figures were really, really good. So in the year 2000, we we had a, a conversation. <laughs> it's one of those conversations. We just said, why don't we set our own business up? We can do this. We, we, we're, we're doing really well here. It's a great company. We are, they look after us well. It was lovely. But we can do better. And that's what we did. And in the year 2000, myself and my mate Tony, Tony Brunskill is his name, lives just down the road from me now, we uh, sat down. It's funny this because this was over a pint of beer as well. Thinking about it, it was. It was in. A, it, oh, Rosie! I don't know, think about it. It was in the the cottage pub in Haxby in near York, and we sat there and we were scribbling on this bit of paper, and we came up with this name of Corporate Safety Solutions Limited. That company's still going. Tony still runs that company. Anyway, that that was our, that was really the the trajectory of my life in health and safety and risk management. This, but then. You know, the commercial aspect became really, really important because now your mortgage depends upon it. Now, no one's paying your wages now. You've got to go out and – but it went really well. And I stayed – Tony and I stayed in that partnership for 10 years. Um, and after 10 years, we we kind of went separate ways uh, business-wise, not friend-wise, business-wise. And we split the company in two. Tony carried on and still does, Corporate Safety Solutions Limited. And we'd moved to York by this stage. Um, and what we did then was basically set up another little company called Safety Compliance Services Limited. And a very quick story, it kind of sits with the theme of things lining up. After one year, that company was bought by a very large corporation. And then after that, we moved to New Zealand. And we can talk about that. 
<laughs> what an adventure, Richard. I did not expect, because clearly, again, I usually do my due diligence on all of my guests, plus in this case, because Ben had introduced you to, to me, you know, I knew a little bit about your story. He told me briefly what he knew about you. And I was just not expecting all of this, because clearly all of this does not transpire necessarily from like a LinkedIn profile or just from checking the website and all of that. But this is really interesting. You know, clearly you have, a big component of uh, entrepreneurship. I think so. In your career as well, right? And how did that come to be? Because again, we often talk about entrepreneurship. It's something that I, well, I talk about it because this has been my life for the past seven years. I run my own company. And I've discussed this several times with veterans, with service leavers. And I've noticed one of two things. On one side, you have people that always felt this sense of entrepreneurship and almost the 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 forces have given them that sense of determination of just going for it you know doing stuff breaking stuff fixing stuff later doesn't matter just get it done on the other side instead we have people that maybe have never considered entrepreneurship however because of all the skills that the forces have given them doesn't matter where they served or what they did but because of the skills somehow the skills are so um applicable yeah. to eventually what it means to run a business did they just fall into it and then they think ah i actually love this i could do this which one was it for you well it's probably a mixture of both and it's so very much linked to what you just said so if if you think about the people in the forces, whether no matter which one, Army, Navy, Air Force, any, any any of the forces, there are a certain set of ethics and morals and standards that you should apply to, apply to your life. Basically, most people do, and that, and and that will set you up for later on after the services. And so during my military time, I the 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 sense of discipline. And the sense of wanting to achieve and wanting to get promoted and wanting to do well, but wanting to make a difference along the way. So it's all right getting promoted. And I did get promoted and I got promoted quick. I was a, a, I was a sergeant by the age of 21 and I was a, a warrant officer by the age of 26. I got promoted really, really quickly. But along the way, it was because I believed I was doing the right thing. So yes, it was about me as well, but it was more about the people I was working with and for, i.e. the teams that I led, whether that was in the Gulf War, whether that was in Bosnia, or whether that was in the UK or in training, it didn't really matter. We had a common goal, and that was to make sure everyone was okay, everyone's safe, and everyone does what they're meant to do when they're meant to do it. That kind of transfers really well into civilian life. So if you approach civilian life with the same mantra of do the best that you can, be nice to people, network to people, and don't treat people how you wouldn't want to be treated yourself. Just just be a nice person and everything falls into place. If you're good at your job and you and you bring your military skills to the civilian table, you will do very, very well and it will just come naturally. And that's what happened to me. I, I just applied the same lessons that I'd learned in the military, hard work, discipline, and a good routine will eventually pay off. And, and, and you haven't got to try and achieve everything today. Set the habits right, get your routines right, and the rest will come 
at some point the rest will fall into place and there'll be some horrendous mistakes along the way and you'll nearly go bankrupt and you'll nearly go out of business and you'll do things that you'll go oh my god why have i done that but they're learning they're learning opportunities you just get better don't and you don't do them again <laughs> i've had a lot of those rosie i've had a few of those along the way i can tell you for that <laughs> oh i love this i really love this and again i love that you just put down you know the hard work the discipline these are all so important i think in everything really that that we do you know but it applies even more so to running a, a business but then again if you do want to shape a career in general for anybody that is listening and thinking well entrepreneurship is not for me i don't want it that's absolutely fine i still think that everything that you're saying applies to that search and shaping even of a career right that that it is aligned really with what you want but let's go back to new zealand okay <laughs> i mean i'm interested now now you, you got me so what happened why New Zealand and what happened afterwards? Well, it's really funny because it, it's it's all so connected to what we've been talking about. We've been talking about uh, teams, military connections, and this is so relevant. So I mentioned before, we we set up Safety Compliance Services Limited, and it was purchased. We, we were bought outright by a large, a, a big company in the United Kingdom. That gave us a little bit of uh, space to think, what now? Don't get me wrong. We weren't millionaires or anything, but yeah, we were. We weren't scrabbling around looking for work or or money. So we had a bit of downtime. So my amazing friend Hippo, his name's Adrian Humphreys. He, he he's on. If he, we'll talk about rural crime in a in a bit, hopefully. Yeah. He's on one of the videos on my rural crime prevention channel on YouTube. Hippo's my old mate. So we joined the army on the same day together and we went through our career together. And we, we, I was his best man. He was my best man. I think you're getting the picture. So when he left the army, he left us one off to class one. He emigrated to New Zealand. We'd always kept in touch, you know, as you do. Anyway, at this particular juncture then, so it's 2010 now, um, that we've sold the business. So safety compliance services has been sold. We're on a bit of a sabbatical a random phone call from Adrian, a.k.a. Hippo, Hippo. said, um, so what are you going to do now then? So I don't know, just fishing around, I'd probably start up another business, to be honest with you. He goes, why don't you come to New Zealand? This is the freaky thing, right? So Hippo had, so Hippo at the time was the regulatory manager at Ashburton District Council in New Zealand on the South Island, about an hour south of Christchurch. And he'd secured a new job at the top of the South Island in a place called Nelson. So his job's up for grabs. And he said, I can guarantee you an interview. That's the rest is up to you. Anyway, he got me an interview. So I had a Zoom interview with the regulatory manager and the HR lady, and it went pretty well. And at the end of the interview, it's a bit like the lift scenario, actually, back in London. They went, okay, so you 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 can have the job on the proviso that you're here by April. So this is the back end of, of 2010. So I had to be there April 2011. So you've got your police checks to sort out. You've Emigrating is no, it's not easy. And we, or your medicals, it's, it's a big thing. Anyway, fast forward, we did all that. But there's an interesting thing, Rosie, that popped up on the way. If you think back to 2011, February, what happened? Huge earthquake, wasn't it, in Christchurch? Yeah. One hour north of where we were about to go and live. We thought, oh, my God. Your wife oh. must have been very happy. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. 
Oh, it was mental. Anyway, so we we thought, well, come on. It does, what's the worst that could happen? It ain't going to happen again. It did many times while we were there. Anyway, so we went over and um, stayed there for a couple and a half years. I took Hippo's job. I became the regulatory manager, Ashburn District Council. But there's another funny twist to this story, if, if I can. At this, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So now, Hippo's now uh, in Nelson, up up the top of the island. I'm in Ashburton um, on the South Island, but further down, not far from Timaru, uh, in between Timaru and Christchurch. Um, and then it comes to, we've made the decision that we're going to go back now. So it's been great. We've had a good couple of years, two and a half years. Time to time to go home. One of my boys was born in New Zealand. My youngest son was born out there. We, we'd had a great time, but it was time to go home. It's a long way away. Um, anyway, so there's another quirky twist to this story, right? So picture the scene. Adrian Humphreys was the original ex warrant officer, Army Environmental Health Medical Corps. Richard Wade was number two, ex warrant officer, Army Environmental Health. Who got the job after me? My mate, Rick Catchpole, ex warrant officer, REMC. You couldn't make this up. We were headline <laughs> news. Seriously, all over, all over. Three Army, three British warrant officers. It was brilliant. And um, Rick, bless him, he's still there to this day. So Rick is still in, in that post as, as that manager. And that that's it. That's it. That's the New Zealand story. That's how life is sometimes, you know. You yeah. cannot make this stuff up. You know, it just happens. Lozy, <laughs> you've got to roll with the punches and just see see where you go. And but it was it was a wonderful experience. It was a fantastic job. If I may, I was in charge of some wonderful things. So I was the regulatory manager. I had a team of ten, about ten people of all nationalities. I had South Africans. We had British people in there. Kiwis, obviously. Um, um, my role covered environmental health, going back to my army days. I remember, that's what I did after my medic training. I was in charge of water purification. I had a team that did that. Dog control. So we had a, a, a team that looked after roving dogs and wandering stock cows that had got out the fields and horse. It was randomly weird, man. But <laughs> what a beautiful place. I loved it. I mean, it's an experience like no other, I would say. But is this experience that then inspired you to come back and then to start the company that you now run yeah here we are yeah how did that come to be well this um there's a there's a, a bit before that so back from new zealand you're gonna think i'm making this up you know rosie but i'm not it's true back from new zealand not quite sure what's gonna happen and another quirky opportunity came up through another ex. I say it's all networking. There's a theme here. It's networking, and it's your old military mates. Another old military mate, Paul Mewitt, Jock Mewitt. So we're now back in the UK, not really doing massive amount of stuff. He said, oh, I got a job that you might be interested in. I was interested in it. And three weeks later, I was in Nigeria teaching international health and safety to Nigerian students. Another thing I did not see coming. Okay. <laughs> For a wonderful company called Hybrid, yeah. uh, run, run by a, a, an outstanding man in health and safety called Dapo Omaladi. He's he's that he's the CEO of that company. So I did that for a bit and then came back. I don't know how long we've got because my story is very weird. Um, we ended up moving to France. And the reason we moved to France, because another army friend of mine, Richie O'Neill, he said, I've got a job that you might be interested in. This one's in Liberia, in a place called Yakepi, in the northwest uh, of Liberia, where a big German company called Krupp were building an overground uh, mine. Yeah. 
Richie had secured the contract as the head of safety. He needed someone to do a movement with him. Um, but uh, that anyway, so we moved to France. And the idea was for me to then go from my in-laws live in France, by the way. So the idea was we're, we're near my wife's mum and dad, near Sarah's mum and dad. And we got Lewis, my eldest, into school, the little one who had been born in New Zealand. He wasn't quite school age yet. And so the idea was this Roman out to Monrovia, up country to Yakepi and back and so on. But the Ebola outbreak kicked in, didn't it? Right. Yeah. So here's where your army training and your resilience comes in. So picture the scene. So now I'm unemployed in France with a family in a rented property. That that makes you focus seriously. So I had a real problem, and I, I, but it had to be overcome really, really quickly because, uh, you know, it, <laughs> being unemployed in, in a foreign country uh, isn't, a, isn't the best place to be. I did some rapid job searching, and I, I ended up spotting this job uh, opportunity at Charmwood Borough Council in Loughborough. We're looking for a contract health and safety advisor. And I did, I looked, I did my geography and it's really close to the East Midlands airport where we were in France was about 40 minutes from Limoges airport. And I thought mm, that can be done. So I got an interview and I went over and guess what? I got offered the job before I'd left. Incredible. Yeah. That says to me, if you want to work, if you if you want to do something, you put your mind to it, you do your homework, and go and present yourself the best you can. Be authentic and be you, and and you'll probably do okay. And and I got that job, and so for a while then we had my family in France, me in a, a house of multi, multiple occupation in Loughborough, sharing it with students. I had a room. So he's, you know, me, old timer in this room with in, in the house with three other people who were students. But it was a good crack. It was an experience and, and I loved it. And then we've set up our own company after after a spell at license insurance company. And that so now now I run a, a company. It's I set it up in the in the pandemic in 2020. I thought my wife was going to leave me. I seriously did. Yeah, we, you know, we've done some crazy stuff along the way, but this, I, this was almost the straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, "Look, it'll work." I had a good, I had a good job with Lysis, which is a big insurance company, and a great company, by the way. If I can make a mention of Lysis, they are a fantastic company. Anyway, so we did that, and we set up risk and safety compliance services in the middle of 2020. So here we are now in 2024, uh, working with some of the biggest organisations. I'm allowed to mention them. It's uh, I'm the safety auditor to Arriva Bus PLC on a national level. So I do all of their audits, been doing that for years. And more recently, um, we picked up the contract. There's a there's a new bullet train in Luton. I don't know if you've heard of the Luton Dart. Yeah. I'm the auditor to the Luton Dart. So I do their uh, ISO 45001 audits on the Luton Dart management system. So it's owned by uh, Luton Council called Luton Rising. Uh, so I do the audits for that and all of their key contractors. So the people who built the Dart, who maintain it, and then all of the facilities contractors, I audit all of those. I'm, I'm down there next week as it happens. And so there's that fascinating. It's fascinating. And, and of course, I work in farm, farming and agriculture. 
I'm a health and safety advisor to the Duke of Northumberland and all of his estates across the United Kingdom and in Scotland. So life's busy, Rosie. There's a lot going on, you know. This is great. This calls for one of my typical hot damn, because this is like <laughs> quite of a story, you know, and I love it. And I know that this episode is going to be a little bit longer, people, but, you know, this is my show. I decide to do whatever I want with it after all. So who cares about time in Richard, right? Let's just roll with this. Sorry to go on. Oh, it's fine. I just enjoy this. And again, there are so many beautiful nuggets in your story. There is the networking, absolutely, you know. There is also that part about these opportunities, when they present themselves, it seems, it seems to me that you never really shied away from saying, you know, I'll give it a go. I'll try it. And then, as you said, you just presented yourself. Exactly that. And and if, if you can get yourself in the mind frame, it doesn't matter what it is in life, whether it whether it's doing a bit of PE, physical training, whether it's trying to get a new job, whether it's going to a new network, whatever it might be, if you can get your mindset such that oh, I can do this and – and then you do your homework, get yourself in the best position, the, the best condition or whatever it is required to be the person that is required for that. If you do the homework and put the hard work in, there's a very good chance you might get it. What's the worst that can happen? You don't get it. Well, you where you started anyways, you haven't lost anything. An opportunity wasn't for you. There'll be plenty more. But I think the networking is the key here because – uh, and maybe this is an opportunity to bring in, if if we may, like the Gendit network, and you know, the Gendit network, absolutely. Networking, it, it's not something that is really ingrained in military whilst you're in the military, but it's so important once you're out of the military. But the the good news is that those people in the military now, so anyone in the military today, already has the skills of networking whether you're dealing up the chain of command with your superiors, whether you're dealing on a level with your, with your, your, your counterparts, or whether the, it's the people you're looking after and hopefully nurturing and bringing on and, and teaching and, and leading, though that requires people skills. You, you've got to be good at people, and that's all, that's all that you need once you've left the military. Get out there, get networking, um, but do it before you leave. You start early, book early. And get into the Gendit. So I, I love the Gendit network. Um, I think Chris Shaw has done the most amazing, built the most amazing network there. Hats off to Chris. I've met Chris many times, a few times rather. We've spoken many times. Um, I, I've, I've go. I've been to all except one. Unfortunately, I couldn't go to the Manchester one, but I, I went to the first one at the Union Jack Club. I went to the one at the Gates. Uh, the last one that was done in Bristol, and I'm I'm exhibiting. I've got a, a stand at the next one that's coming up, but that network is a big house full of people who can help you out. But more importantly, Rosie, it's full of people who want to help you out, who who will gladly give of their time and di help and direct and all the rest of it. So I, I I commend Chris for what he's done, and and I say regularly. So in in other groups that I'm in, military groups. I, I harp on to people, get in the gender. I invite everybody in. And a lot of people do, and they should, because it's fun. That's I think that's probably worth mentioning, actually. You gotta have fun along the way. Because if it ain't fun, what's the point of doing it? You know, and make it fun, make life fun and and, and it'll be it'll be a good crack and you get paid for it. So what's not to love? <laughs> so why not? That's that's the extra. I'll have a bit of that. <laughs>
<laughs> I love that. And again, of course, we mentioned that the network is good to mention it and we will link it, you guys, but there's going to be an event uh, coming up in Bristol in March. So this episode will go out just before I think the event is taking place. So we will make sure to link it so that you can get your ticket and go and uh, meet up maybe with Richard, you know, just go and uh, pay him a visit, I would say at this point, right? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, do that because, oh, the thing is, I've actually got, I'm, I've actually got a stand there as well. So, yeah. you know, I do the Gendit merch. And yeah. um, so, you know, shameless plug here rosie oh go ahead <laughs> why not why not come along come and say hello and, and you know see see if there's any nice little merch we um i've got a i'm offering a really good prices because it's face to face i haven't got a people don't have to pay any postage you know i'm i'm bringing it with me so um yeah come and see me at the gendit network in bristol and buy a t-shirt or something coffee mug travel mug yeah yeah or a pin badge or we got it all we got it all i love that yeah. Um, before we close this uh, podcast, let's talk a little bit about the rural crime prevention, because I think is, as I said, it's something that I was not aware of at all until probably a couple of weeks ago. I was telling you I have actually stumbled upon an article. I don't even know what I was reading. And then there was this article talking about rural crime skyrocketing in the U.S., and because I have a friend of mine who actually um, worked in farming in the U.S. for quite a while, you know, organic farm, small farm. And so I was discussing it with her. So for me, it was a little bit of a revelation. And then, of course, I knew that I had you on the on the podcast. So I thought, OK, this is interesting. I never really heard about it before, but I do want to talk about it because clearly, I mean, we're talking about risk and the safety and all of that. And there could be somebody listening to this episode thinking, OK, Hmm. Is there something more specific that I can do within that world? Or is there something more, something that is maybe different than what everybody else is doing? So let's tackle it for a moment. What is this about? How does somebody get involved in the rural crime prevention? So what happened, um, it, it kind of goes back to my days at Lysit's insurance broker. So I, where I was head of risk management, in fact, I set up that department. The main client base of Lysis is agriculture and landed estates and rural economy, basically, uh, horses and stables and all, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I was doing health and safety and risk management in that world, basically. Um, one of the things that was regularly occurring, people were getting victimized. They were becoming victims to very, very clever, highly organized gangs of criminals uh, committing crimes in those rural sec sectors because it's quite easy to do if you're so minded. Um, so I became aware of it during that time. And then not so long ago on LinkedIn, I just happened to see an article. Um, the guy who's literally become my partner in crime, uh, a lovely fellow, Mick Hawks. So Mick, uh, Mick, Mick's ex-Special Forces. Mick served for 14 years in the uh, B Squadron SAS. And so he's, he was talking about rural crime. And I thought, ah, that's what I was looking at. Uh, that, that was on my agenda a little while ago. So I started, I, I clicked the follow button and I start to follow Mick and see what he's talking about. And then it, it, I had this moment where I thought, if we join forces together, we we have something that's really, really special for, for a couple of reasons. Mick, obviously, is ex-special forces. This is public knowledge, by the way, is that I'm allowed to talk about this. It's on his it's on his website, et cetera. But for a number of years, Mick was 
uh, a covert operator in Northern Ireland. So Mick and his teams would dig themselves in on the outskirts of farms where the terrorists were storing weapons and they would monitor and watch. No one would know they were there, obviously. It would be a bit of a waste of time if this <laughs> flag sticking out the top. Anyway, but then they would go in and break into farms and do whatever they did with the weapons, whether they take them away or they doctor them or whatever. But So the, that's a unique set of skills at a, high, at a high level. One thing worth mentioning, just to give Mick his real credentials, he also used to train MI5 operatives for two years on covert surveillance. So he knows what he's talking about. I then bring to the table a couple of things. So I, I know agriculture. I know that world. That, that's the world that I've been operating in. But I also have a, something else up my sleeve. I have an online school. And so what we've done is we've joined forces and we've brought in mixed expertise on security and, and safety and, and, and what the criminals do. And my expertise on agricultural risk and safety and my online school. And what we've done, we've already launched a brand new um, rural crime prevention course online. But what the other things that we do is we we will come and we'll come and we'll do coverts that not me personally, but we've got operatives who come and do covert survey. They're out there now as we speak, doing covert operations on farms and estates who think they may be vulnerable to crime. So we're watching the watchers, we're watching the criminals gathering intelligence and where a threat is identified then mick can go in and tell them on countermeasures so you need to do this this and this so but we've kept what the difference is what we what we've done is um we, we wanted to come at this from a different angle rosie so what we did is we looked at what what are, what's currently going on out there to prevent rural crime and there's a lot of it a lot of big insurance companies and others saying here's some information here's a brochure make sure you get some insurance, but they're missing the real trick. You need to hold the farmer's hand. You need to ring fence and look. Yeah, be hands-on with it. Boots on the ground, get out there, get some real intelligence, see what's going on, and then tell them what they need to do. What practical measures, what can they do? Can they change their locks? Can they can they park their vehicles differently? Can they do this? So we do, and that's what the course is all about. It's very straightforward. So if somebody wanted to get involved in this, what kind of skills do they need to have? Do they need to be familiar maybe with the agricultural world or what, what is the type of skills that they need to have to get involved? Yeah, this, so there's, there's a number of different skill sets required. Um, there's opportunities for the covert surveillance people. So there's a number of companies. We're, we're linked in with a couple in particular. There's a number of companies who specialize in covert operations. So people coming out of the military from certain parts of the military, not just the special forces, but other aspects, you know, most most infantry units, uh, marine units, that kind of stuff. They have these skill sets that they, they, they can operate in that space. So there, there'd be opportunities there. And again, you'd find them through networking and LinkedIn, boot nets into business and the Gendit network, et cetera. So it's all, all linked this this um, this networking amongst your community, amongst your tribe, effectively. So those types of skills, skills in health and safety, skills in risk management can get you into the agricultural sector, whether that's directly working for like a farming organization or an agribusiness or indeed the uh, insurance brokers or advisors to those 
rural communities. So there's certain insurance brokers who specialize in agriculture. And then there's lots of different land agent companies that help agricultural businesses. So there's many, many different avenues, but a, a mixture of a good, good safety qualification and your military background, you're going to get a job. If you want one, you're going to get a job. No question about it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all this information with us again. I think that this will help a lot of people that maybe want to do something a bit different, maybe got the skills, or maybe they're just feeling inspired by your story and they just think, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and see what kind of opportunities come up. So thank you so much for sharing. Again, I could talk to you forever, I feel, because I know that good stories will come out. That's what I'm learning by just this brief conversation. But we are at the end of these episodes. And as always, I ask to all of my guests, what is the number one tip? I feel like we talked already a little bit about it. So I I think I can um, already say what that would be. But what is the main tip or message for anybody maybe who's leaving or they left a while ago and they're still trying to find their way in terms of career? Yeah, well, I think if I was to give a tip, it's, it's really, really straightforward particularly if you've served in the military, it doesn't matter what part of the military, if you've done time in the military, just be aware of how useful that experience is for you and and harness the skills that you've learned, whether that's teamwork, timeliness, proactivity, um, your your technical skills, depending on what, what you want to do. But never forget that what you've got is something really, really good, solid and unique. And it's a fantastic foundation upon which to build those other people's skills that you'll need outside. So accept the fact that, yeah, I've got some good stuff here, that you've got the grounding, you've got the basics. I'm a, I'm a good opportunity for others so how do i make them realize that well that's by presenting yourself well being there on time giving more than people expect over deliver under promise over deliver and make sure people remember you people people um this is not my saying i've picked this up somewhere along the way but but people won't necessarily remember what you've said to them but they'll remember how you made them feel so be nice to people look after people and just be the best version of yourself but be genuine and be honest um and then my final part is the last bit of that jigsaw once you've put all that together get out there and tell the world who you are and how good you are and don't be don't be a don't be scared of a challenge go for it because you've got nothing to lose if that one doesn't work out go and get another one but just keep going that, that's that's it just get stuck in and go for it i love that thank you so much for sharing your story with us richard i really really appreciate it thank you for all the tips the insights you know I think this is a great episode. I can't wait for our listeners. Well, they will be listening as, as I'm speaking, of course, but I can't wait for everybody just to listen to this because it will be really interesting. So again, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Rosie, I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. I, I, I do genuinely, it's been absolutely super to meet you and this opportunity. And I'm hoping, if nothing else, a couple of the little bits we've talked about might make people go, oh, yeah. That's a good one. I can do that. And so if we can just do one thing like that, then hey, it's been a good day out, hasn't it? That's pretty much it. And of course, we will make sure to link uh, your profile so that people can connect with you personally. They can connect with your company. Of course, as I said, we will also connect the um, or we will add the link 
of the, the network event so that everybody can maybe come and say just hello in person, you know, which is always nice. Thank you. And that's it for today. So thank you so much once again for being with me. Thank you guys for listening. And of course, I'll see you next time in our next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And hey, remember to subscribe to our podcast to never miss any new releases and to share it with other veterans within your community. If you want to connect with the XMIL team, please visit our website, www.ex-mil.co.uk or you can just connect with us on our LinkedIn page. Thank you so much and see you next time.